0: Integral psychology is a meta-psychology and what I talked about yesterday, what I'm going to talk about today is my first book, Waking Up, which was designed to be an integrally informed meta-psychotherapy. A meta-psychology is a a scaffolding within which all other psychologies self-organize and I think integral psychology does that. And a meta-psychotherapy is a scaffolding within which all psychotherapies self-organize. And my book, Waking Up, was about that. So Chad suggested this and I went, yeah, let's do it. The thing that fascinates me about this is that usually when I, when I ask myself a question like, you know, what would be a turquoise meta-psychotherapy? I get an answer. You know, I'll get a download and I'll do a talk mm-hmm. on it and often once in a while write a book about it. All I have is kind of a pregnant question. Mm-hmm. I, I just have a yearning for that and I can't feel the shape of it. And I believe that the only way I'm gonna have that is in a community of the adequate, you know, which is right. fellow people together in a particular kind of container. And also I, I have a feeling that a turquoise psychotherapy will be characterized more by the mode of discourse and less by the content. And I feel like at least yesterday in that group, I felt like we had that mode of discourse. Mm. That container had that particular energy about it. You know, I'm somewhat of a connoisseur of intersubjective energies, given that that's all I do is adjust them. And I haven't done a group like this. There's a whole bunch of of normal, crazy, functional people there for no other reason other than to grow and to share and to connect. And so I was excited about it. We all met. You know, it's just basically... It was so much fun. I had to basically be <laughs> regulating my pleasure level to be able to <laughs> facilitate the group, which is really great when, when that happens. It happens in well, Derby pretty right much. Anyway, it was, it was, was like,
1: a, Yeah. It was, a, it was a really cool session. It was a really nice constellation of, you know, really healers in a lot of way. That's right. All, um, of, us. all of us. Yeah. You know, I have a super simple way of introducing quadrants to people. Which I I feel like just resonates deeply with what you're saying and it's it's so staggeringly simple where you know the upper left quadrant and the upper right quadrant all that's describing is being and doing this is how this is how an individual is and this is what an individual does right so you have the intentional and the behavioral which -hmm. means that the lower quadrants the lower left and the lower right it's really as simple as this being together doing together I love that I think and I think one of the you know one of the things that we're gonna be feeling out as this group continues sort of in the future is how exactly what is the quality of our being together and then finally what do we want to do together because obviously it's the doing together that takes all of that sort of symmetry and complementarity and mutuality that we experience as a group okay so how are we now Behaving together, what are we doing together? What kind of artifacts are we producing, et cetera? That's where the influence moves from within the group to outside the group. One of the things I mentioned was there's a polarity here. There's a polarity between depth and span, really, yeah. right? And in order to serve the greatest possible depth, we need those kinds of boundaries. We need to feel like I can say things in confidence that aren't necessarily going to, you know, just get out there. So I can be more vulnerable. I can, you know, what have you depth requires sort of that kind of container. Whereas SPAN, you know, the SPAN project is like, we want these conversations to serve something greater than ourselves and greater than this group to exert real influence in the world. Well, that kind of moves over into a, a more, you know, transparent model, right? Where like, we want as much of what we do together to be public and to be visible to people. And I think part of the art of holding a group like this is figuring out how to serve the depth and how to serve the span without letting those two sort of interfere with each other. And what I really appreciated about this group that you convened is there was you know there's enough dexterity in that group to understand that we can do both. It's not an either or. Like this is a polarity to be sort of managed and to be you know hopefully integrated, because I think that's important. Sort of that tension between private and public in a certain. I agree.
0: Waking up was my vision in 2007 of an integrally informed meta psychotherapy, And the 10 books I've written since then have all been informed by these principles. And I'm going to talk about those, these principles and say what they are. Mm-hmm. And those of you that are psychotherapists or helpers or healers or change workers, see if you agree with me that these things apply to all the change work and all the systems that you've done. They, they do to me, and I've studied a bunch of them, but maybe they don't with some of them. The first thing is everything is relationships. There is absolute truth, pure, unchanging suchness, pure consciousness, and everything else is relationships. And in this universe, if a group of linked, differentiated parts are energized, capable of chaotic behavior but not lost in chaos or rigidity, and arranged hierarchically, That's its complex system, which is your consciousness, my consciousness, and our consciousness. That complex system is biased to evolve to higher complexity. That there's self-repeating fractal patterns, and every once in a while there's a pattern that's more complex, and the system will morph into that new level, and that new level will be more energy efficient, and it'll look simpler. With human beings, as we evolve, we evolve towards more compassion and deeper consciousness. Mm -hmm. And you can see this on most of the developmental lines, certainly all the social ones, moral ones, all that stuff. And so this led into a meta definition of psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is cultivating compassion and depth of consciousness to support healthy perspectives and actions. And more specifically, psychotherapy is co-creating a culture where the client and the client's universe are cherished, where every moment is a gift and an opportunity, and where um, healthy behaviors and perspectives are considered beautiful, good, and true. There's a meta-definition of change work. And what, what does psychotherapy do? What does change work do? It remediates symptoms, it enhances health, and it supports development. And how do change workers do this? Well, first of all, they relate. Every system says the relationship is the most important thing. One meta-analysis said that in the positive variance of change in psychotherapy, 30% of it was due to quality of the relationship. So we relate. We don't just relate, we teach. Um, When I was trained in the 70s, we were supposed to teach people stuff. Never made any sense to me. I followed that for about two weeks and then never did it again. I mean, it was just obviously wrong. uh, And if somebody wants to learn something that's gonna help them, we can teach them. We teach them happily. In fact, a lot of psychotherapy is helping people to the point where they're willing to learn what they need to learn. Part of the way that we teach is we inspire people to be different and to take risks and to change. So we relate, teach, and inspire. And the way we inspire is we have visions of the people we work with having superior functioning, more love, more health, better relationships, more success, all those beautiful things. And those visions help inspire our clients to take the risks they need to take to change. And what do, how do we do that? We can confront people with what we believe is true about them in the universe. So we relate, we teach, we inspire, and we confront. And as we do that, we see the patterns that emerge in people's subconscious, their past, present, and future, their relationships. And with our clients, we interpret those patterns to help them understand themselves better, navigate more in their lives. But therapists don't just relate, teach, inspire, confront, and interpret. They also direct. Non-directive therapy, as taught by Carl Rogers, was completely misunderstood in the 70s. It was misunderstood in that it was considered you have to not have values. When it was wrong, if you would ask, rogers rogers would have said the same thing of course there's values now since the values were like level six kohlberg values they didn't look like the kind of values people were looking at we definitely direct yes that's a good idea i think if you did that something good would happen no that's a terrible idea don't do that it, it, my book hundred reasons to not have a secret affair that book came out of a guy trying to talk me into for an hour why he should have a secret affair and cheat on his wife and he finally, at the end, he was leaving, and he said, to "Keith, you know, why shouldn't I have a secret affair?" I said, "There's a
1: hundred reasons you to not have a secret affair." He said, "And he said that'd be a great book." I gotta say that that takes some gumption to be like, "I'm gonna walk into my therapist's office and convince my therapist all the reasons why I should have a secret affair on my wife."
0: Yeah, I mean well, that takes
1: that's that takes some some guile right there. That guy had a lot of
0: hush, but I gotta say. Now, in an integrally informed meta-psychotherapy, what are the meta-states? And there are two, at least. But the two that are most important to me are, one, states of health in response to the present moment. You feel generally safe, generally present, socially engaged, you're moving on the road of life, you're able to receive influence, somewhat or, or a lot, and if there's problems, you try to solve them, you try to learn from what happens. That's a state of health in response to the present moment. Psychotherapy is all about helping people be in those states, expand those states, regulate those states, like that. If our nervous system, if our shadow self, our adaptive unconscious, decides that we're threatened, feels threatened, in 40 milliseconds, we instantiate a defensive state. A defensive state is a primitive state designed to protect us really, really was adaptive a million years ago. We have amplified or numbed emotion to prepare us. We have distorted perspectives where our story-making compulsion as human beings is hijacked by the defensive state to give us a story that supports action. Defensive action and destructive action. We have destructive impulses to fight or flight. We have diminished capacities for self-reflection because we don't have time to do that in danger. And for empathy, we don't want to be empathetic with someone who scares us. These are defensive states. We don't decide to have them. We enter them spontaneously and discover them if we do a half a second, a second later. And yeah. all psychotherapies, all change work involves helping people identify when they're in a defensive state and self-correct to a state of health and response. And Alan Shore's whole thing on regulation theory, you know, he thinks that's the center of everything. A huge part of that is. Identifying and regulating defensive states in the states of healthy response. So that's not his language. Okay, so those are two. But that's not enough, really, to understand the intensity of these states because we're we're ultrasocial. Okay, ultrasocial. We're the only ultrasocial primate. So if I enter a defensive state with you, your nervous system will read threat and enter a defensive state with me, and it will create a pattern, a relational defensive pattern. Yep. Yeah and if we don't interrupt that we'll practice it and within minutes we're beginning to embed that into the unconscious of our relationship and they deepen and deepen and deepen and deepen now think about it couples have been having problems for six years on the average before they go to a therapist that's six years of practicing and embedding these defensive relational patterns into their deep unconscious and that's why in a, in a couple session, I'll interrupt people 50 times in 60 minutes. You know, there are tractor states. They keep pulling the people into it. I keep interrupting it and regulating, helping them regulate to a state of health and response. And then at some point or another, if they stick it out long enough, they'll start noticing this themselves and, and get, learn how to do it without me there. Okay. And if two people can do it, the relationship gets better.
1: Yep. And it it makes sense, Keith, because once it hits that level of the of the unconscious, once it's been like totally internalized and sort of submerged into the unconscious, it produces sort of this endless parade of narratives of limiting narratives. Oh yeah, that becomes almost like a mythology of the relationship, and it can be really, really difficult to challenge and to transform someone's mythology. Yeah, it it is absolutely a mythology
0: because. Remember the stories, the distorted perspectives. You enter that state and you, that story has been practiced and elaborated on. And every psychotherapy has some provision for dealing with normal crazy and extra crazy, and some explanation for it. Okay. And the explanations for it are generally limited in these other psychotherapies because a lot of people get tied into their system. Psychoanalysis overemphasized development. Okay? Behaviorists overemphasized behaviorism. Okay? The geneticists overemphasized uh, genes. You know, this is where all the the gene horrible stuff, you know, came over the last hundred years. It's cognitive behavioral people overemphasize the story and making part of it. Well, if we're going to look at lines and levels, which is our next meta thing, the meta thing of lines and levels is everybody's always developing, and everybody has developed on a lot of lines. And you know what? Ken was right about lines of development. You go from stage to stage, you can't skip stages. I mean, you can have peak experiences, but you can't skip stages. And I like Ken's nine fulcrum thing in um, integral psychology that fits nicely with spiral dynamics, and it mm-hmm. fits nicely with attachment research and interpersonal neurobiological research and the genetic research that has come out. And it looks like there's an awful lot of us that is predetermined psychologically for instance, personality disorders are 80% heritable, um, most temperamental traits are 40 to 60% heritable. My favorite, which I mentioned yesterday, is, is your tendency to divorce is 30% heritable. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, what a mind-blower that one is. The psychotherapists of the 20th century, basically use I'm a psychoanalyst, I'm a cognitive behavioral person, I'm a behavioral person, I'm, you know, whatever. To this day, there's people who go, I'm an OCD person. If you sign on to a system like that, you're signing on to a set of values consciously and unconsciously, which is fine. But an integrally informed metapsychotherapy says, there's many sets of values and many, many sets of perspectives. And I want to tailor it to this particular person. Carl Jung, who is of course a visionary said, I come up with a new psychology for every one of my clients. I loved when I read, he said that Mm -hmm. because that's how it works. And as an example, I I gave of your thing of modes of discourse. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's red decree, there's amber doctrine, there's umber debate, there's orange dialogue, Dialogue. Mm -hmm. there's green discourse, and then there's teal dialectic. And I guess turquoise or something else. Maybe what we did yesterday. Maybe that's it. I, I don't have a word for it. And if I do, I got to find it with the D because of
1: the yeah law. it's got to be it's, it has to alliterate. That's right. very important. You know, we have a tradition. You know, that's that's our <laughs> that's our amber itself. So. Well, and you know, it's it, it's it's returning to a theme that we often uh, surface in these shows, which is you know you described as sort of the foundational insight of your first book, and really arguably of all the books that followed, which is everything is relational. Yeah. Um it's all every everything is relational. We know this is true in physics, right? In the upper right quadrant, an object's motion it only has motion in relation to the position of every other object sort of in its in its field, right? right. This is as true for subjective realities as it is for objective realities. You know, I know we've we've mentioned this before in the show, but we have this concept of a gigaglossary for example, which emphasizes the fact that even the meaning of a word, right, even the sort of the, the signified, the experience of what is being signified when we're using a particular word changes dramatically from perspective to perspective to perspective, which means in fact, even if we want to talk about the universe as being one single whole, one singularity of a whole, still there are as many different enactments of the whole, there are many different views of that whole, as there are perspectives that are looking at the whole. Everything is relative. There's no such thing as a being that's not connected in some way to being together. There's no such thing as a doing that is not somehow connected to a doing together. And it's a tremendously profound insight. And, you know, a lot of people might hear that and be like, well, that sounds actually a little bit sort of green, a little bit postmodern, because postmodernism really likes to emphasize sort of the relativity of all phenomena. That's true. I I think the difference here, though, is that the postmodern take would be everything is relative. Everything is relational. Therefore, we can know nothing, right? Whereas teal and turquoise say everything is relational and therefore we can know anything. And everything. And everything.